Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala seyyidil mursalin. Ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve baraka ve selleme teslimen kathiran ila yevmiddin amma ba'd. For the married people, some of these things may be slightly irrelevant because you've already done it. But mashallah, the benefit is that if you listen to these things, what I'm going to say inshallah, they will also benefit you after marriage or inside a marriage. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam in a, in a mold from clay, from soil. And then he breathed the spirit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have created Hawa, Eve, alayhi salam, also in a similar way, from the clay. So he could have created two independent individuals. But instead of that, he created her from a rib of Adam alayhi salam. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam, he was created as an adult, not as a child. He did not go through the embryonic stages. Slow, slow, you know, bigger, bigger, nothing like this. When Adam alayhi salam became conscious, he found Hawa, Hawa alayhi salam next to him and immediately felt an attraction and an inclination towards her. And that's why the Mufassirin say that had she not been created from him, this sort of natural attraction, compassion, and love between spouses would not have been present. This is mentioned by some of the earliest Mufassirin as well, like Imam Tabari, Ibn Kathir, and others. That is why there's great wisdom in the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the first man and the first woman. That's why, you know, generally we say that it was only Adam Islam that's created without a father or mother. But Hawa also did not have a father or mother as such. She was also created originally, but from a part of Adam salam. That's the only difference. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا Created for you from yourselves, your spouses. لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا And the whole purpose of this from this tafsir, we can understand that the reason it was created one from the other is so you can gain sukoon, peace, tranquility, contentment, satisfaction. That's the natural attraction. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates their love and affection, mercy between the spouses. That's how it's supposed to be. And in it, indeed, are signs for people who give thought. This is uh, in Surah Al-Rum, verse uh, 21, which is chapter 30, verse 21. A man will hold on to his wife because he should naturally love her. As the mother of his children, he should feel compassion for her. And that's the purpose of creating one from the other. They have very complementary roles. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse We place between them love and mercy Love we can understand There's a natural love There should be at least Hopefully there is for everybody right? Or if you're not married then hopefully there will be for you 
What about rahmah, the mercy? So just to give you a highlight understanding of that, marriage is never supposed to get old. If you do it right and you deal with it in the right way, it's supposed to stay afresh. That love and that relationship needs to be refreshed and it's supposed to bring on new, a new sense of satisfaction. Generally with everything else, you have an iPad, this is an iPad 3, which is very, very old. Right? But it's still working, but the new one, you'll want a new one. <clears throat> now even if I have a new one, which I have, I've had a new one for nearly a year, but I still use this one. I just haven't been able to transfer everything over. I was sitting once in Atikaf, it was Ramadan time, and there was an older scholar, very righteous man, very, much older than me, old enough to be my father or older. So we were sitting and I was a bit informal with him, we were sitting eating. So he said to his son, who was also present, he said to him, have you called your mum today, is she okay, have you found out how's your mum? So just as a joke, I said to him, at this age you're still worried about her? Just as a job, I said, you're still worried about your wife at this age. You know, you're supposed to be in itikaf, you should be just focusing on. So he, he, he struck me here, he said, you know, when you're young, then it's more about touch and feeling. When you get older, you may not even touch one another, but the love and affection and the rahmah is amazing. So that's how it's supposed to become. So you mustn't think that just because somebody gets old, that it's supposed to end the relationship. Marriage is amazing if you do it right. Marriage is amazing if you do it right. The only reason that a person doesn't get satisfied with what their spouse provides or has is because they're looking for haram. Once you open the door for haram, then the barakah, the blessing gets lifted. So you don't get satisfaction anywhere. That's why one of the most beautiful du'as for avoiding haram because it's difficult, especially in the hyper-sexualized world we live in, where everything is in your face, where you, it's very difficult to avoid. Various options are presented to you. So one of the du'as that's really beneficial in that regard is, Allahumma kfini bi halalika an haramik, wa aghnini bi fadlika amman siwak. Generally, this du'a is used for removal of debt. If you got debt, you, they say, read this du'a. But if you look at the meaning, it's actually appropriate for this or anything in which you are attracted by haram. You have halal, but for some reason you're not satisfied. You're always looking for haram. Somebody has a halal money, but he's always looking for haram money because it's easier to come by. How do you avoid that? It's so attractive. And likewise, if, if you're working and there's people at work which you're always comparing with your spouse, right? And <clears throat> elsewhere... Then if inshallah, if you read this du'a, which means, Oh Allah, suffice me, make me happy and satisfied with the halal away from the haram. Because at the end of the day for human beings, right? If you're satisfied with something, you wouldn't look at something else. It's when you get greedy and when you are not satisfied with something, then you look elsewhere. Of course, the modern world creates a product and then it creates a demand for it. We don't need a lot of the products. I don't know if you guys have Black Friday here. We don't need a lot of the products. But they create a product which a few people need and then they advertise it in a certain way that appeals to our nafs so that we want it. So even if we don't want it, we want to buy it. So then they line their pockets with it. 
So likewise, the cosmetics industry, the beauty industry is a big thing. Imagine if they can get all the men to start making, uh, wearing makeup. Can you imagine how much they will increase in their, in, in, in their economy? Because if you say 40%, 50% of the population is men, and they don't really care about makeup right now, hopefully not at least, right? They care about clothes and everything. But imagine if you could just get the men to start wearing makeup. Can you imagine how much more they will sell? It's just money, money. And of course, there are already these so-called social media influencers, males, that actually look like women, right, with makeup on, encouraging men to wear makeup. So this is the new world we're living in, and uh, that's why marriage is, becomes more challenging in the new world. Another thing, if you, look at if you just compare the world from 50 years ago to the world now, even in terms of marriage, Right? It doesn't matter which country you're from. The traditional role for women in a marriage 50 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe even up to 30 years ago was clear. You were going to move into your husband's house, your future husband's house. You were going to do the cooking, cleaning, whatever, unless you're from an elite where you're going to have servants. right? Otherwise, you're going to mainly have children. You're going to maybe help him if he has a business or field, uh, farming or whatever. There was no other career choices. You know, 50 years ago, there weren't many career choices. The women were not going to university as much as they are now, right? especially in Muslim countries. So it was very clear. The women knew exactly what role they were getting. There was only one question they had to ask. There were only two options. Are we going to stay with the in-laws or not? That was the only question because sometimes the husband had another house. Or he was going to stay with the in-laws, you're going to have to serve the in-laws. So you just had to make that decision. There, I don't think there was much other options that you had to worry about. <clears throat> so it's very clear. So many people got married in those days without speaking to one another. The families would go and check. Uh, for the man, the family, his, his mother, sisters, whatever, would go and check the girl. In some, in some countries, they take him to the hammam. They check him there. Right? I'm not joking. I've told by... Uh, in some country, they come take him to the hammam. And uh, one friend from Jordan, he's saying that they used to go and you know feel the the. the I don't I don't I hope they don't do this anymore, but they used to feel how much meat on the on the on the leg, and all these things like this. I think it's some Yemenis. They were known to take people for Umrah. Like if you if you propose to his daughter, he'll take you for Umrah. You think you're getting a free Umrah, right? But then he's gonna find out how you are. Because when you're traveling, that's how the real you comes out. You know, when you meet somebody for the first time, or for a few times, you can behave in a particular way. Like right now, I'm behaving in front of you. I have to act in a certain way. Now, if we relax and, you know, it's, uh, it gets personal, then I will become more, much more relaxed. Then the true me comes out. I mean, I am making an effort that the true me is the same outside and inside then you don't have to play two roles. It just makes life easier. Right? So, uh, the world has changed hugely. Much more, uh, I mean, men are becoming more educated, women are becoming more educated. Men have always wanted a certain career. Career choices are now huge. Before, in a particular city or a village uh, in, a, in another country, there would be just few career choices but now mashallah there are so many career choices you don't even know what to pick 
And the sisters also have career choices. So now it's become more important that you discuss what you want. Okay, are you interested in having children straight away? Or do you want to have it after 10 years? Are you interested in traveling? Are you going to continue working? Etc., etc. Can you see how it becomes totally different? Sometimes the first generation, they're still operating in the earlier style. So they don't understand the new generation, that why should you have to, why should you have to worry so much about this, they think. They don't, they don't realize that the world has become so much more complicated. Also, another thing is that this is still going to take time, but before, if you were in a village in Egypt, in good old Saeed or Misr, right, if that's where you're from, right, or you're in a place in, in Jordan, in Azraq or whatever, or in uh, Pakistan, in, you know, uh, in, I don't know, Sialkot or wherever you're from, Right? You, know, you know what I'm saying? Or in India somewhere. You generally married either within your family, with your cousin or relative, or within the village, or within the area, or maybe within two or three villages. That's it. You hardly went beyond that. Right? It was the natural thing to do. You want to stay close to your parents. So, you know, you, 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 uh, people didn't give their daughters to go because generally the daughters had to move, right? So that, that's the way it was. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we're sitting here in Malmo together and we have, I don't know how many different ethnicities. Everybody with a different background, right? Everybody with different traits, different customs. And so we all share the Swedish custom, the Western custom, you can say, right? Ikea meatballs, rye bread, um, Sandwiches, yeah. Sandwiches, you don't... I mean, there's no concept of sandwiches in other countries, is there? So we share in that, but we also still have our hummus, our fool, biryani, right? Ma'luba, mansaf. You see what I'm saying? Ta'miyya, right? We still have that. Alhamdulillah, that's fine. Now, one thing I have to... I want to clarify something very quickly. A lot of people, they come and they think they're doing very good because they say, I want to do everything Islamically. I don't want culture to do anything. I want culture to have no part in my marriage. Do you think that's a good idea? Right? What they're misunderstanding is that they think all culture is anti-Islam, but that's not true. Culture is just a generic idea. It's the way we do things. Yes, some parts of our culture is anti-Islamic. But not everything. For example, if you're from a culture where they force you to marry, who the parents want you to marry, your cousin, sister, or brother, whatever, then that's a bad culture. Especially if you don't like, if you force you. If it's with mutual, uh, mutual agreement, alhamdulillah. That's the way marriage has always been. Except that now, you pay for somebody to find you a spouse. Before, there was an old auntie in the community, she used to find a spouse for you. Old uncle, old auntie, they, did, they just knew. They, they had all the ag- algorithms in their mind. Like, yeah, yeah, I think this girl is good for this. Hey, you know, I've got somebody for you. He'll tell your dad, tell your mom. Nowadays, we don't trust these people anymore. Or <clears throat> if something has gone wrong, then we blame these people. So they've stopped doing it. Their industry is broken. So now you have to pay for it on these matrimonial sites. So they're doing the same thing. But they're doing it through computer algorithms. You put your personal profile in, 
and they'll match you. And then you have to do it that way and you have to pay for it. Same thing, that's the way humans work. A lot of things, culture is, it, it, just imagine that what is the sunnah method of spending Eid? If we want to say no culture, just we're going to talk about the sunnah of spending Eid. Okay, eat, if it's Eid al-Fitr, then eat something sweet before you leave. That's a sunnah. Wear new clothes or fresh clothes, preferably white. You go to the musalla, you read the takbir on the way, and you come back. You make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for acceptance of your Ramadan, because Eid is actually a... Uh, it's the day when you get your reward for the whole of Ramadan. And you come home. Is there anything else mentioned in the sunnah about the day of Eid? What else do you do on the day of Eid? So now if you're going to say that the customs, that your local customs, Egyptian customs, Moroccan customs, whatever it is, they have no place, then that's wrong. If you do certain, certain other things on the day of Eid, where you go and visit, you take it as an opportunity to visit your relatives, alhamdulillah, that's not anti-Islam. That's not against Islam. Just because the Prophet didn't do it, doesn't mean you can't do it. But if we're going to impose that you must do this on Eid, you must make this certain dish on Eid because you get reward, and the Prophet didn't say so, then he gets bidah. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why custom is not a bad thing. As long as the custom doesn't include anything which is against Islam, against the Sunnah. That's the main thing that we have to understand. Otherwise, human beings, we're, but that's who we are. We are made from custom. So not all custom is bad. Now, another thing that I want to mention is when we talk about preparing for marriage, we can split this into two sections, into two stages. First is as you're growing up, you know that you have to get married. Your parents will tell you, your friends will tell you. They'll even joke with you, oh, you're going to get married to so-and-so. When you're going to get married and so on. You know, they, you get these jokes. So what that does is that you generally start feeling. Now, tell me if I'm wrong because I can only think for myself and for the people I hear. Generally, the first thing you start, everybody start thinking is that, what's my ideal spouse? You always start thinking about your ideal spouse, like this is the type of person I want to marry. She must look like this, he must look like this. That's the way we think about it. That's the first preparation for marriage. First preparation for marriage is to start forming the ideal, the model in our mind of what we want. I guess that's what you do, right? Unless you're so busy with doing something else and your parents say, hey man, you, you, you better get married. So what's marriage? Oh, I'll show you here. You need to marry this person. You know, okay, let me figure out what marriage is. I mean, everybody knows marriage is, you know. So that's the first thing. That's what you do. Once you find somebody who seems to meet that criteria or whatever the case is, remember, focus on the preparation. Now the second stage of preparation is the marriage day. All of your efforts... Majority of the focus, the effort, is on the marriage day. Or the days, however many. Like, what am I going to wear? Right? What am I going to, what are we going to feed? Who's going to be the guests? We have to call such and such a person. If we call that person, then we must call this person as well. Right? And the cuisine, the food, the venue... This all becomes preparation. Can anybody see what's missing so far? Initially, we're thinking of the ideal of the person we want to marry. Then we're focused on the one day. 
And that one day is so important for people. And I know it's important, but not the way people make it, to be honest. Right? It is important. But they make it so important that some people even end up doing haram on that day. They say, let them do it, man. This is my only day. They say, it's the wedding day. This is the day. You know, like, I know it's the day, but it's not the day where you do haram. This is the day where you should be closer to Allah because everything that you do depends on how much barakah Allah is going to put into this. <clears throat> but have you noticed what's missing in here? What do you think is missing in all of this? Your, your spouse. We've been talking about a spouse already. What about yourself? Have you noticed hardly anybody's thinking about themselves? Only somebody just finally mentioned it. What about yourself? We play no part, it looks like. Everything has to be the spouse and then the day. What about us? Are we ready to get married? Are we preparing ourselves for marriage? SubhanAllah, this is the first time I've asked people about this and I've been thinking about this for a while. But this is the first time I've asked and nobody even mentioned it until I had to push it. This is sad. If you want him or her to be Mr. Mrs. Right, then you better be the other right. So, this is the real preparation for marriage. Is that, am I ready for marriage? For the challenges of marriage. Marriage is challenging. I don't think there's any marriage that is just no problem at all. Like, at all. Yes, alhamdulillah, there are lots of marriages where they don't have too many problems and they know how to deal with the problems. But to say there's a marriage with no problems at all, then tell me, do you know any marriage with no, you've never had a problem or you know somebody with never, not even a minor problem? Anybody? I mean, because you're going to be above a prophet, if that is the case. The Prophet ﷺ had issues with his wife sometimes. I mean, he had nine of them. And he was the best to his wives. He said, I'm the one with the best, the best of you is the best in character, and I'm the best to my wives. He had nine when he passed away. <clears throat> but he did get upset. And there was one occasion where he just went away from all of them, and he stayed in a loft for nearly 29, 30 days for a whole month. To such a degree that one of his <clears throat> father-in-laws, Umar and if you want to even, can use this term, uh, the husband, uh, the, the father of his, uh, one of his wives, Hafsa radiallahu anha, he became worried that has he divorced his wives? Has the Prophet divorced Hafsa radiallahu anha and others? <clears throat> you see what I'm saying? One day the Prophet went to meet, uh, to look for Ali radiallahu anha. So he went to his house. It's his daughter's house because Ali radiallahu anhu is married to Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet Ya Fatima, where's Ali radiallahu He says, oh, we had a bit of a problem. He's in the masjid, sleeping in the masjid. We had a bit of an issue. He's in the masjid. Nowadays, people have issues. They go to the bar. They go, where do they go? They go to weird places. They want to calm down. They want an outlet. They want to release. He went to the masjid. So the Prophet went to the masjid and there Ali is lying on the floor, sleeping. And he's got some of the, you know, because they had no carpets in those days, some of the mud uh, or uh, the, the sand or whatever, and it stuck to him. So he made up a good name for him. He says, Ya Abat Qum Abat Turab. It's an Arabic idiom to say father of whatever, like, you know, to show a relationship. Just, just humor. 
He's like, why did you do this to my daughter-in-law? Why did uh, my daughter? Why did you make her upset? He didn't say anything. It was just very fondly, affectionately. He said, "Kum aba turab." Everybody has problems. <clears throat> a lot of people think I'm not going to have problems. This is the ideal. So then, when you actually have a problem, you don't expect it. So you don't know how to react. Let me tell you right now, and again, this is beneficial to those who are already married. Already, I mean, because they can always make changes and understand where the problem is, and to those who are not yet married. If you have an anger problem, where you're constantly getting angry, you know, because when it comes to anger, there are several different types of people, right? Uh, you may be able to relate to this, but they, in Arabic, they have four categories. Sari'ul ghadab, Sari'ul zawal. Bati'ul ghadab, Bati'ul zawal. Sari'ul ghadab, Bati'ul zawal. Bati'ul ghadab, Sari'ul zawal. Sari means... Quickly, uh, sorry, very fast to become. And bati means very slow. So there's some people who get angry very fast, but they calm down very fast. Right? So they quickly get angry. You can see red in the face and suddenly they're smiling. Right? There's some people who get angry very seldomly, like hardly ever. Takes a lot to get them angry, but when they get angry, they stay angry for a very long time. Now, I want you to think about this. Think who you are. What's your personality? And tell me which one do you think is the best and which is the worst. Then you have another one who gets angry very quickly and calms down very late. Gets angry very quickly and takes a long time to calm down. And the fourth one is the one who gets angry very Seldomly, hardly ever. And when they get angry as well, they calm down very fast. Which is the best of these qualities? Which is the best category? The last one. Right? Which is the worst? The third one. The third one is, gets angry always, very fast, and takes a long time to calm down. That guy's always going to be angry. He's probably going to have lines on the forehead. <laughs> now look, just by this little exercise... If we can tell who we are, if you're a person with your friends, with your brothers and sisters, with your parents, you get angry all the time very quickly, right? And you're just always angry. You need to get anger management classes. And no, this is not a joke. This is serious. Like, you know, otherwise you're going to mess your marriage up, right? The people around you, like your family, they're forced to live with you. Allah put you together, so they're going to have sabr with you. Right? Maybe your friends as well, but you can't jeopardize a marriage to do that. And it's not a good idea. So anger problems this is a big issue. And you can get help. And number two, you're very sensitive. You just get irritated and you get emotional and you start crying over small things. Smallest thing goes wrong, you start getting upset. I mean, it's related. Anger, emotion, it's related. But you're too sensitive. You have to remember this is the world. The world, things happen against the way we are. We're not in paradise. It's only in paradise where it's maya shai, yani whatever you want. Here it's not like that, unfortunately. So if you get sensitive quickly, we need to learn to deal with sensitivity. Allah creates us all in different ways. And then, he, and then we're supposed to moderate our... So for example, if I am more... Stingy than my brother, by nature. My brother is more 
generous than I am by nature. There's nothing wrong with that. This is in my nature. But if I act on the stinginess, then that becomes wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're very generous by nature, alhamdulillah, but if you act on your generosity in a way that people take advantage of you and then you spend in haram as well, then that's haram. So every one of us is created in different ways. Even two brothers, two sisters, you'll see they're different. So for example, if, I'm, uh, if somebody is stingy and they receive gifts from their neighbors, but they never give. On Eid day, people come and uh, you know, give their children gifts. They don't give. They say, this is a bid'ah, ya akhi. This is their excuse. But they take. Um, you eat together in a restaurant. And when it comes time to pay the bill, you go to wash your hands. Can you see? This is socially considered to be miserly. So we all are created with different temperaments. Some of us are very soft, we let people walk over us. Some of us are very hard, that we just don't bend at all. We're not flexible. If you're, a, if you're a person who wants it your way all the time, because you have an ego, and you've managed to conquer everything around you, you've conquered your family, you've conquered your friends because they're all submissive to you now, and now you're going to get married, and the person you get married to is not willing to be conquered because they also want to be egotistic, can you imagine the fireworks which you're going to have? Do you see what I'm saying? We have to start realizing our problems. Now again, this is beneficial, not just for people who are thinking about getting married, but also people who are married, because this is probably what's causing the issues. Imagine two really egotistic, narcissistic people that come together. They're not going to be able to stay unless one calms down for the sake of the marriage. So this is what you call pre preparing yourself for marriage. If you men, if you want Mrs. Right, then you have to become Mr. Right. And likewise, sisters, if you want Mr. Right, you need to become Mrs. Right. Then inshallah, then you get that barakah as well. So, you know, when you are married already, then what happens is that you run into trouble. So then people look for counsellors. Now unfortunately we don't have too many counsellors, good Muslim counsellors, who understand our culture, who understand our religious requirements and everything. Right? Uh, sometimes people are struggling with things and they go to just a general counsellor and they tell them, yes, you must indulge. If that makes you happy, yes, you must flirt. Right? If it makes you happy, you must have an affair. You know? So we don't have too many counsellors. But there is this concept of premarital counseling. Now, when we don't even have sufficient postmarital counselors, bringing up the topic of premarital counseling is difficult. But this is individually if you feel that you have a certain tendency, a certain characteristic, a certain problem, certain weakness. I'm not mentioning all the problems, I'm just mentioning a few. There could be so many weaknesses, so many problems. Right? You may just be spendthrift, you may just like to spend everything. Or you may be stingy. Right? And a husband being stingy is a problem. When one of the sahabiyat, the female companions, came to Prophet ﷺ with three proposals, the Prophet ﷺ diagnosed each one and said, him, 
he doesn't take a stick of his shoulder. Another one, su'luk, la mala la. He's got no money. So then he suggested one of them to him. So if you're stingy, then what are you going to do in marriage? Are you going to have the problems in money in your marriage? Many marriages have uh, suffer because of this. The husband gives me like this small amount of money and I have to give him itemized bill at the end of each month. Now, of course, sometimes that becomes necessary if uh, the spouse is spending too much and not spending responsibly. So you have to think of everything that's going to affect the marriage and you have to see if you can balance yourself and moderate yourself out. Are we... I mean, if anybody's got issues in their marriage, can you see how these things are so relevant? Now, moving on to what you should be looking for. So, in that regard, I just want to mention a few things. The Prophet said, <clears throat> A woman is married for one of four reasons, generally. There could be many more reasons, but generally, big reasons are four. Number one, for her wealth. Man, she comes from a wealthy family, that's good. It makes it less burden on, on me. I'll get good gifts. She'll come with a lot of money. It'll help, right? Number two, from family, lineage, genetics. Today we could include genetics in that. Right? She's from that family, he's going to, oh, I'm, I've got a girl from that family. It's a big thing, you know, not in, not in the West anymore. Because the whole family structures and tribal mentality is all gone. But in a lot of countries, like if you get yourself married to a certain tribe, it's like, wow, how did you do that? They don't give their girls to anybody, right? Because in many communities, they're very protective over their girls. They let the boys bring anybody in. But in terms of where their girls go, that's a matter of honor. And, and in a certain case, that's completely valid. It's not a problem. That's where you get the kuf in Islam, compatibility. It generally is about is the woman where she's going is to protect her. Because if she's going to land up in a lesser type of family and she's uh, n not in a position to call the shots, to make the decisions, she's going to suffer. She's going to be demoralized. That's why for a man it's okay. He can get married to anybody but because generally in Islam the man is supposedly the responsible one in the house. So he makes, he has to, he's responsible for decisions. But the woman... You, the parents and the community have to make sure that she gets married into a decent place where she'll be comfortable. So not somebody of a lower category. So that's number two. Number three, for her beauty. Right, for her beauty. Now beauty, we'll look into that later as to what exactly beauty means. It could mean different things for different people, but there's a standard understanding of beauty. And number four, for her deen. We also have to understand what deen means as well. So that's the Prophet ﷺ. he's talking to men, because the men were in front of him, so he said, he made an observation, he says when men get married, they generally marry for four reasons, like this is what they, four main points they look at. So how does this hadith relate to women, what should they look for? The hadith doesn't say that women should look for nothing, she should just get married anyway, no. The reason the Prophet ﷺ said this to men is because he was addressing the men. But if this is relevant for the women, then they should look for the same thing. I mean, for women, they look at these things as well. What family, the looks, handsomeness, the, the wealth, and the deen. They must look for the same thing. But both men and women will also have other things. This is not constrained to these four points, as the hadith mentions. It's many things that you can look at, whatever is important for you. But the main thing is this. 
I want to explain each one of these points because that's very important. If you look at these four points, you have, let's start with the, 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 the money. Who thinks that this hadith is saying you must ignore the three and you must just focus on the deen? Who, who, who's had an understanding like that? Anybody? Well, hopefully not. Uh, many of the muhaddithin who've commented on this have made it very clear that the Prophet is not saying you must ignore the other three and you must just focus on the deen. No, what he's saying is فَذْفَرْ بِذَاتِ deen, which means that make sure you win that one at least. If you have all the others, alhamdulillah, even better. There's a virtue in all of these things. So for example, when it comes to wealth, there's nothing wrong with marrying a religious person, a righteous person who comes with some wealth. Alhamdulillah. It makes it e life easy for you. Your children will inherit from, the, from that side of the family as well. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing it primarily because of the money, then you're in trouble because they could have financial crisis tomorrow and you'd be in big trouble. Because the reason you built this structure of marriage was for money and that's gone. For money and that's gone. That's why it cannot be the main reason. But it can be a reason and there's nothing wrong with it. There's positives of it. But you have to remember it also comes with some negatives. People who have a lot of money, they're going to have a lot of sensitivities according about the money. Money doesn't come easy. It brings a certain fitna with it as well a lot of the time. See what I'm saying? For example, if you get a spouse from a very, 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 very wealthy family, then you better be able to then shop in those kind of places as well. Right? If your normal shopping is from... I don't know, I haven't been around Sweden too much, so I can't say. Oh, H&M, yes. If you generally shop from H&M and from Aldi, and from Lidl, which are really good places, actually. Nothing wrong with them. Right. You have Aldi and Lidl? Yeah. You got Aldi, right? Okay. Alhamdulillah. Um, if, you're, if you generally shop from them, but you're bringing a spouse that comes from... They would never go into those shops. They shop from... I'm stuck here. Right? Uh, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, that's... <laughs> you know, Hugo Boss, Louis Vuitton, you know, uh, Giorgio Armani, you know, then you're in trouble. But you, so, you see what I'm saying? If you're going to if if you, if bring an elephant in the house, you're going to have to feed it. You have to bring that much food. This is not to say anybody's like an elephant. It's just to say that if you want a pet as an elephant, you have to have the means to prove it. Right? You get a big engine car, you're going to have to put that much gas in it. Then you can't be stingy like, you know, small Nissan Micra, you know. So um, you get according to your status. You have to keep all of these things in mind. So that's wealth. Then you go into family lineage. Now, when you look at family lineage, the reason you get a certain family, if it's just to show off that, oh, that's a very important family. If I'm connected, I can show off. That's silly. That's wrong. But if there's a, a good family that has good akhlaq, Good character. They've got generosity in them. Right? What's wrong with that? Don't you want good genes for your children? You see the benefit of that? Good genes for your children. Hasab, akhlaq, the character. You know, mashallah, this was a, a family of ulama. This, well, that would be for deen anyway. That would go under that category. But these were a really decent family. Uh, when I became imam in a certain place, one of the local alims, he, he brought me, he says, look, let me tell you, 
the makeup of this community is these main families. This family, mashallah, you know, they're very respectful, decent people. This family, you know, they're the major players. You have to know this. So you have to know the kind of family you're going to get into. If you, any one of you think that I'm just marrying that one person, that man or that girl, and I don't care about the rest of their family, you're mistaken. That's not the way life works. Remember, marriage is hardly ever between two individuals. Unless you're going to get married and you're going to basically take, uh, go with your spouse and live in the middle of nowhere. You'll still have other people to deal with then. Generally, when you get married, it's with another family. And alhamdulillah, you need that. Especially after you get children, you need the support. So you know this idea, just this romantic idea about me and my wife, me and my husband, bus, nobody else? It's silly. You need, believe me, in-laws are very, very, very helpful. What about if you want a romantic weekend after you have three children? Where are you going to put your children? If you've got in-laws that are nice, your, your own parents... The in-law, alhamdulillah, you can use that. I'm giving you ideas. Right? Book, you know, two days. Have a, have a honeymoon. Why should honeymoon be only after you get married? You do that once in a year. Do that twice a year, alhamdulillah. But you need extended family to help you. You know, it's only family that's going to be encouraged to do that. And the children will feel comfortable there as well. That's why family, this is Allah. This is the way He's made it for us. You can't divorce from family. So get that out of your mind. Now you can understand why the dilemma where your family doesn't want you to marry somebody and you want to marry somebody. If you start thinking it like this, you'll, you'll become more open-minded about the way you think of these things. The other thing I want to just, uh, just slip in here about culture, going back to the culture issue. A lot of people think, okay, we as Muslims and we should just marry anybody else as long as they got the deen. And culture should play no part in it. While that's true to a certain degree that you should not discriminate according to culture, but there are actually benefits of marrying within your own culture. Maybe nobody will tell you it this way, but there are benefits. There are pros and cons of everything. It just depends on why and how you're doing this. The benefits of marrying in your own culture is that, number one, you, will, you won't have too many new things to adjust to. They're your culture. Right? So... The food is going to be similar. The cooking style, the living style, the language. If, because remember, many of us are still like second generation, third generation. We still have other languages. It's not just one language. So maybe somebody in your family still doesn't speak Swedish or English or whatever. How are they going to communicate if you're on different languages? Who, what, what is your child going to learn? You know. So when you have the same culture, there's a lot of benefits in that. But not to the detriment. It should not be done just that it must be culture, not outside it for no reason. But there are benefits to it. So don't think that, oh, I ha-, you know, a lot, there's one person, he says, I don't want to get married in my culture. I don't want to get married to any existing Muslims. I want to get married to a convert. I said, why? Because they don't come with any baggage. Now, we must... Don't get me wrong in here. We must embrace the, our convert brothers and sisters and make them feel part of us. But I'm just this ideology. Basically, this person is tired of his Egyptian culture or Pakistani culture or Indian or whatever, whatever culture it was. So he thinks that I don't want any baggage. So if I get married to somebody from a totally alien culture, 
then there won't be any baggage. I told him everybody comes with baggage, it's just a different baggage. So even converts, well a convert is going to be another, you know, is going to be either from Hinduism, from Christianity, from Judaism, from atheism or whatever. They're going to come with a baggage. Everybody comes with baggage, just human beings for you. Right? So to say that, oh, this, you're just talking about you don't want this baggage, you want a different baggage. I mean, why don't you deal with the baggage you know than to deal with, you know, a baggage you do not know. Do you see what I'm saying? So we're not saying don't marry outside of your tradition. No, alhamdulillah, if it works, alhamdulillah, that's good. And you know what? Just, it's just, I'm talking in a context-specific way. Because right now, in this city, uh, if we look around here, right, you've got Pakistanis, right? You've got Egyptians, you've got Turks, you've got Kurds, you've got Syrians, you've got Moroccans. Right? Balkans, let's take the whole of the Balkans then, right? I was going to say Bosnians and Albanians, but if you want the whole of the Balkans together. You see what I'm saying? Now, we still have our own little different traditions, don't we? Even though we're, you're all here. But give it two, three generations, another hundred years, and you'll see that there'll be less issues. It's just the time factor. And anybody who calls like, oh, we must break down these ethnicities and cultures and barriers and all that you're asking for too much it's not going to happen right now it's just too many players but give it give it a hundred years if you look i don't know about sweden but if you look in england there are people there that are originally anglo-saxon scottish and various different things but now they all seem the same if they live in england they all seem the same even if they're originally from irish ireland there'll still be a few idiosyncrasies there but otherwise Mashallah, the food, everything is the same. You just have to give it time. Be a realist. Right? Be a realist. So there you go. That's, uh, that's a bit about choosing. So let us then go into the beauty. Now beauty, do you think beauty is as important as family and wealth? Or do you think it's lesser? Or do you think it's similar? As a consideration, both from men and women. What do you think? Especially in today's age. I, I can't, if you think it's more alhamdulillah and if you think it's less, that's fine. It's personal. It's not a problem. There's no, there's no one answer to this. You have to remember, this is very personal. One person in my class, 20-something years ago, only two people were married in the class. In the final year, graduation year, only two people were married. They were slightly older. The others were not married. So they'd read the hadith. That fadfar deen, make sure you're champion with the person of you know with the one who has the deen, right? So he kept saying, you know, I don't care what she looks like, I don't care what family she's from, I'm just gonna get married to the religious person. So one of the students who was married, he once took him aside and he said to him, You know, you keep saying that, you better be careful. He said, nowadays, you see, if there was 50 years ago, maybe, but nowadays, the industry, it's all about looking beautiful, looking attractive, rather than beautiful, looking attractive. People use various different amounts of money and makeup and clothing and everything else to look attractive. Right? You're living in a very artificial world today. So everybody's done up outside. It's a big fitna. If you don't get somebody who pleases you, remember this, who pleases you, when you come home, then shaitan is going to take advantage of this situation. So make sure that you do get married to somebody that pleases you. Now remember, beauty for most people is in what they see. There's one person who had a wife who his friends all considered very ugly. 
his friends did. So they were very informal. They used to joke with him, and what do you see in her? Just to mess him around. So then this is what he would do. He says, look, let me give you my eyes, and then you look at her. Then you'll see. You see what I'm saying? If you're satisfied, alhamdulillah, then everybody's satisfied. Everybody should be satisfied. You must be satisfied. Now, there is a definition for beauty, uh, and the, the, the experts on beauty do say that beauty is, is, is not just subjective. It's not just beauty is an eye to beholder. There are some things which everybody would consider beautiful because beauty... Can anybody define beauty? What is beauty? Give me a definition. Do Swiss... Do, not Swiss. Do Swedes have a benef definition for beauty? Because people, don't, people never think about this. I get it from a friend of mine who's an expert on love and he's figured all of these things out, so I get it from him. Beauty is symmetry, balance, moderation. Most people would agree on that. You may have a skewed idea of beauty, and for you that's beauty, but everybody's like, that's horrific. Right? Because there's no symmetry there between that's what's beautiful because I've got a skewed idea. So in some sense it could be subjective, but there are certain things which are overall considered beautiful. You know, standard because of the moderation and the symmetry that they use in there. So what I don't want is I don't want women to feel because of this beauty idea, because the competition, the craze for teenagers and older, you know, growing older women, is that I'm not beautiful enough. This is what the culture teaches you, that I'm not beautiful enough. How does it teach you that? The way it teaches you, first it tells you that beauty is, your attractiveness is the most important part of you. Especially for girls, more than boys, the message that you're getting from social media is that you better be attractive, you better be attractive, otherwise you're going to lose everything. But then there's also another message that's subliminally provided is that you will never be beautiful enough. So one is you must be beautiful or attractive, but you're never going to be beautiful enough or attractive enough. How do you get that message? They, the way to get the message is, you know the role models that they put up on advertisements and everything. They generally get the most attractive looking people. They do them up in the most attractive way. That's another layer. It's already exceptional beauty. Already exceptionally, you know, good looking. Then they put, uh, they put makeup and dress. Then on top of that, after they've taken the pictures and videos, they airbrush it to make it even look even better. So are you looking at reality or are you looking at something made up? So that is who these young girls are growing up to look like. That's how I need to be. But that blemishless, no fault, no small blemish, it's impossible. So a lot of women are suffering. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not beautiful enough. What that does to your self-esteem is it destroys your self-esteem, even though you are decent. So celebrate your own beauty instead of comparing yourself to others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide. Right? So don't let any woman feel like that and become then depressed. And likewise, any guy shouldn't feel like that either. So that's wealth. Uh, that, that's beauty. There is a benefit in marrying somebody you're attracted to. No doubt about that. Then, then shaitan can't, you know, hopefully, you know, it'll be less of a fitna. If you can come home to your spouse and say, like, I've seen a lot today. There's people who are probably more attractive than you, but you know what? You satisfy me.
That's barakah. That you can only have if Allah wants you to have it. Because day by day, anything fresh that you see is going to look better. That's how new products, they just change the style, make it look more sleeker, and it looks better, but it does the same thing as you've got. So the Prophet ﷺ is telling you to focus on the purpose. Allah will give you satisfaction. And that's what you call barakah. That's why one of the, you know when you get married, what is the dua that you give to the person who just got married? The sunnah dua. Barakallahu lak, baraka alayk, wa jama'a fi khair. Twice barakah is used. May Allah bless you, may Allah shower his blessings upon you, and may Allah unite you together in goodness. In a marriage, you need barakah. Otherwise, there's two individuals who are coming together. You don't know what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. Is it going to work? Is it not going to... If there's barakah in there, mashallah, even if you seem to be like, they say chalk and cheese or, you know, blue and green or whatever, alhamdulillah, it will work. You need barakah. That's the secret ingredients to put it together. So, inshallah, um, in the next session, we will discuss the marriage ceremony, the marriage transaction, and other things like that. But I will stop right now to give some time for questions, inshallah. It can be. Um, so, I guess it, uh, when you talk about irritation, that spans two things. It spans sensitivity and anger. So, you're sensitive, so you get irritated. And actually, some perfectionists get irritated very quickly. Uh, I can completely relate to that. Now, initially, if you get angry because of that and you start crit criticizing and correcting it or get violent about it, that's the problem. I don't think there's anything wrong with noticing flaws and wanting to be perfect and a perfection. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's just you have to also realize that everybody can't be like you. So I think those are probably the limits. Those are what will what we have to learn that we have to manage our irrit irritability, right? We have to manage our sensitivity. Because if they were born with that, or that's how we are, alhamdulillah, but it's just, and there's a lot of people who used to get angry very quickly over their irrit irritation over certain things, but now they get less irritated. And th th that's what you have to ask Allah for, and you have to use certain methods uh, to try to uh, cure, cure that issue of that. It doesn't mean that you have to just stop looking at, you have to become less of a perfectionist. But it shouldn't be the negative aspect of perfectionism. So you know the kafa'a, uh, I, I mean kafa'a means compatibility. And scholars have written in the books of fiqh etc. that if a woman gets married outside of her kafa'a, right, I mean, I don't want to get this to be too technical, but for the Shafis, they're not even allowed to marry without the guardian's permission anyway, if they've not been married before. With the Hanafis, a woman can technically marry, right? But the condition they give is that if she marries out of her compatibility, parents have the right to go, father has the right to go to the judge and have it annulled. Right? Another view says that the marriage is not even valid. I follow the view it is valid, but the parents have a right to go. Now, what is this kafa? I explained earlier kafa, it's compatibility so that the woman does not end up in a disadvantageous position. Essentially, that's it. Because in a marriage hierarchy in Islam, husband's is, husband is responsible. So there are certain things that he you know, gets to decide. Because ultimately, responsibility lies with him. It doesn't mean he's a dictator or something. It's not supposed to mean that, right? So, 
in that sense, the woman better be in a position that is suitable for her and according to what she's used to and what she's comfortable with. What are those things though? So in different books of fiqh, they'll give you deen and wealth and etc, etc. Those things are social. Those things are social ideas of the time and the customs of the time. So now, some of those things may not apply to us in the West because we live in a different bit of culture. So what we're trying to do, uh, we, we did this last year with our students in the Iftar class, is to actually try to decide how would you think about compatibility in the modern world in the West. Because in the East, it's still, still a bit homogenous in that sense. It's changed a bit. But in the West, when you've got so many different ethnicities come together and so on standards, so that's a bit like, okay, who would you consider to be of a lower category? What kind of job would you consider that? Would that would bring so-called shame to the family? And I'm not talking to a family who is overly sensitive, but any decent person, like, why did you do that for? You're not, you're not, you're not going to be happy. We're still trying to figure that out in, in terms of the West. We've come up with obviously a few ideas. Uh, but a lot of that is based on context because what, how you're going to feel. Is it going to be considered a defect for you? Is she going to be happy or not? She may think she's being happy, but eventually in two years she's not going to be happy when she really like, you know, because initially you've got that excitement and so on. Once the excitement dies, then eventually it just becomes normal. The dopamine is gone. Do, 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 do you know why people end up marrying sometimes in where it's not really healthy for them to marry? So recently I was in Finland and uh, there was a massive marriage conference and they had a psycho, uh, a, a, a psychotherapist or uh, um, a counsellor and it was really nice uh, because I'd always thought about this but I was never able to put it in words. He says that what happens is that you know, as a man or a woman you've got your hormones, right? And you're looking for something. It's natural within human, you know, especially teenagers and so on. The, once the hormones start coming with children, you know, they don't know about sexuality and so on. But once you understand sexuality, then, you know, you want a part of it because it's human beings. So when you see somebody that seems to fulfill that idea for you, you get a dopamine rush. Right? That's the chemical dopamine. It's an instant, like, you know, if I've got 10 jobs to do and I finish one off, you know, that feeling like, oh, alhamdulillah, one is done. You know that alhamdulillah feeling? That's what you call a dopamine rush. But it's instant, it goes, you need another one. Right? I need to do the next thing because that's not going to stay, right? You're not going to feel satisfied about that for 10 days, are you? Right? You need another dopamine rush. So what happens is you get emotionally attracted to somebody, but you haven't explored everything. You know, from the discussion we've had in this session, you've seen how comprehensive that thought process should be and how many things you should really think about. We don't. We just think, oh... On the face of it, this person is perfect. Because they're giving me that dopamine. Every time I meet them secretly on the phone, whatever, at school, university, work, I'm getting that dopamine rush. But you're not thinking whether you're going to get that same satisfaction afterwards in the real aspects of life. If there's somebody that is really beautiful and you admire the way they look, is, uh, when you get married, is that, all, is that what marriage is about? You're going to sit and put them as a trophy and just keep looking at them all day? Is that what the purpose of marriage is? Right? Do you see what I'm saying? So that cannot be a factor. Because that's not what you're marrying for. If somebody dresses in a particular way, that's not... Marriage is a lot more than that. So a lot of people get married, emotionally attached, and then once it all... a week or two weeks, that romantic period goes, goes you're no longer getting dopamine because there's no more substance there. 
Do you see what I'm saying? There's nothing more to satisfy you. That initial dopamine, that risk you were taking, all that is all gone. So no longer are you getting the chemical reaction, so you start feeling upset. And now you get cortisol instead, which is the bad hormone. Right? Cortisol is when you're in a place that you don't like. Right? What you want is you want to find somebody that can provide you the love hormone. What is that called? Oxytocin. Oxytocin. You know, a lot of oxytocin. Right? And that is when you do it thoroughly and there's barakah, then you get a lot of oxytocin. That's what you need. You don't need cortisol. And you just don't want to go just on dopamine either. Right? The best remedy for anger. Several remedies. You want to you wanna stop it from getting to stage two or three all the time. Okay. Right? Because if you're constantly jumping from stage zero to three, that's a bad thing. So you want to get slowly, slowly. Um, have we got to talk on anger? I think we've got to talk on anger. Now, anger, the way I'm, is number one, first sit down and think, what gets you angry? What are the few things that gets you angry? Um, if you can try to identify, you won't be able to identify everything because it's the first time you're looking at it, you won't know. So then you keep a note for the next month or two because you'll mention a few things. Okay, I get angry when the food is not ready. Or I get angry when somebody comes late. I get angry for no reason. You know, you will come out. Uh, then you keep adding to that from when you do get angry, you always think back, why am I getting angry? Number, num and that's the first way to do it. Number two, you ask your close friends and family, look, I want to be honest with you. I want you to be honest with me. I won't get angry on you. But can you tell me when I get angry? Do you see what I'm saying? You tell me when I get angry. Uh, now, if they're scared of your anger, they're not going to tell you. But hopefully you can convince them that I'm not going to get angry. So please let me know. Number two. Number three, make it a lot of dua to Allah. And what the Prophet ﷺ said is that when you're standing up and you get angry, then you sit down. Or you lie down. The benefit in there is that, you know when you're standing up and you get angry, you're more confrontational. When you're standing up, you feel more powerful. So you, you, you can do more. When you sit down, you're getting closer to the earth, which is aradiyya, right? And you're calmer. Otherwise, lie down. Now, who's going to remember to do that though? Unless you train yourself, you're not going to remember to do that. You're going to think, oh, I should have sat down. Oh, it's too late now. You know? So... What I'm saying is, if you can figure out what gets you angry, second thing is, who get, is there particular people that get you angry? Every time I go to see my uncle, my brother, my mother, my father, somebody. So, when you are going to see them, because you can't avoid those people, can you? You pre prepare yourself. I'm not going to get angry today. I'm not going to get angry today. I don't care what they say. I generally say something, I'm this time I'm not going to say anything back. It, you have to preempt. You, got, you understand preemption? Like you prepare beforehand that I'm not going to let their silliness make me silly and foolish as well. <coughs> and then there's a dua that helps a lot. You can read it with me and you can learn it then. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ash-shiqaq wa nifaq wa su'il akhlaq. Oh Allah, I seek your refuge from disputation, arguing. 
nifak, <coughs> hypocrisy, and bad character. Because overindulgence of anger, letting go of your anger, is akhlaq problem. Right? So you ask Allah for control, and you start a regimen of dhikr. Because the more you'll do la ilaha illallah and salawat on the Prophet that will bring more jamal and softness in you. Inshallah. So that's four things I think I mentioned, or five things. Allah make it easy because lots of marriages break because of anger. Lots of marriages break because of anger. The brother is asking that where he comes from, Afghanistan, 90% of marriages are arranged. And only 10% are what he calls love marriages. So which one is more Islamic? Because the observation he has is that most love marriages out of the 10%, they end up ending in divorce. And majority of the arranged marriages, if not all of them, they survive. So I think it's neither, it definitely love marriages are out of question in Islam. Unless you just... The only time a love marriage would be allowed, uh, again, it depends on what you mean by love marriage. If it means that, oh, I must fall in love with somebody, then marry them. Then that's haram, obviously. But there are cases where you may have a cousin or somebody that Allah just puts love in your heart for them. You do nothing haram. You know, you do nothing haram. Sometimes Allah just creates a love for somebody in your heart. But I wouldn't call that a love marriage in the so-called sense of it, in the social sense of it. And then after that you do everything right and nothing haram, no wrong statements or anything and then you get married. Is everything okay, Agit? Okay. Uh, so then you get married. That's not a problem, is it? Love marriages when you date, that's a problem. Now arranged marriages, maybe the reason why nobody gets divorced is because it's the culture that nobody's allowed to get divorced. Right? So you have to be careful that just because nobody gets divorced, it doesn't mean they're all happy, right? We, we could explore the idea that in such cultures to actually remain married like that and not get so divorced and everything, is that better than for women to get divorced and then not be able to get married again and suffer in other ways? You have to remember there's many, many women in our communities in the West who are divorced and are wrecked, basically. Because the society, our community, doesn't like divorced women. They don't give them another chance and they blame them generally. Which is bad. And if you look at a statistic, maybe there's just less men, so they're going to look for unmarried women. Especially if you've got children. If, especially if the divorced women have children. So, to be honest, the, the, we have to really think about that. And like, what's the best way out of that? and suggest certain things. There's even some taboo subjects in there that you're going to have to broach to be able to sort it out. Because in the time of the Prophet I don't think there were many divorced women at all. You got divorced, you got picked up. Right? You got divorced, there'd be a proposal outside. Right? SubhanAllah. To such a degree that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran had to prohibit proposing while you're in your iddat. You know when you get divorced and you have to wait for three Menstrual periods as idda, the waiting period. Allah says in the Quran that you're not allowed to propose at that time. Now, if nobody was proposing, why would he have to say that? He says you can give an indication like, okay, after you finish idda, talk to me. Or let me know, or something like that, like indicate. You're not allowed to give a proposal. Yeah. 
So there are numerous considerations about that. So I can't say if any of those are good or bad. But an arranged marriage, as long as it's proper arranged. I don't mean arranged in the sense that you're forced. As soon as you've got force in a marriage, then you're creating a recipe for disaster, generally speaking. But an arranged marriage at all is nothing wrong with arranged marriages. Like a proper, genuine, arranged marriage is a good thing. Uh, it's, it's helpful. And to be honest, I think most people would be happy if, you, if somebody can suggest a good person for them. Why would you not? It's just our attitude has become like one person, he says that his daughter always does everything against what they want. He tells her, if, if the mom says you should buy this red dress, she wants to buy the blue one. Right? It's just no trust on the parents for whatever reason. Maybe they made some mistakes or maybe they didn't handle it well, whatever. So finally he figured out the way to get her to do the right things. He says, suggest the opposite. <laughs> suggest the opposite. She says, I want to be against my parents, so she does this one. Those are weird cases. Those are strange, exceptional cases. You see what I'm saying? So um, I would, as a conclusion, I would say arrangement is good. People are using, as I said, websites now to arrange marriages for them, right? Again, it depends on what you mean by arranged. And uh, I was not in an arranged marriage. I found my spouse. But I knew that my spouse, my parents would be happy with them. So I arranged my marriage in the, with their happiness. And there's nothing wrong with that. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Um, it's when... You want to just do something different. Your parents have some right as well. You know, they want somebody homogenous. They don't want to have to learn in their old age something new. So that's why they want you to marry somebody like them. And that's the best marriages, if you can get everybody happy. Not to say it's haram if you did otherwise in, in some cases, but it's just ideal. The ideal is that everybody's happy. That's a good question. Is there, can you, uh, is there such a thing as marrying too early, right? As I said, there are many factors that you need to look at. In a default state, normal state, in the Hanafi Madhab, marriage is a sunnah. In a default state. Anytime. Once you're able to marry, you, you have the money, whatever, then it's sunnah to be married. So you'll be rewarded for marriage. Shafi's look at it differently. They say it's just mubah, it's permissible. Better to do ibadah. But to be honest, in the world today, I don't see many people who will give up marriage just for ibadah. They'll probably give up marriage for career, whatever, right? Probably not for ibadah. The Hanafi mother for me just sounds more accomplished because the Prophet saw some married and so on. So anyway, sunnah. That's what the books say. When you have desperation, too much desire, you can't control it, then it becomes wajib in that case to marry. Obligatory, basically. So if you're at that stage already, because subhanAllah, there are people who have just been sexualized. Do you want them just to be doing zina? Do you see what I'm saying? So now, let's just say your 12-year-old kid came to you. I mean, it's illegal, man. What are you going to do with that situation? Do you see the difficulty in that question? Because it's illegal anyway to, 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 to be married in a country like this, uh, officially married. So let's just say somebody is 17, 18 years old. They're still finishing off university. They don't have the money to go and get an apartment or whatever. But you parents should be waking up to this fact. Some parents, they're from another place 
where it was more chaste, right? It was more pure. Maybe they didn't cover properly in those days. They were not so religious. But when it came to relationships, they were very particular. It's strange, right? It was the culture that you did not mess around. But subhanAllah, in Sweden, in the UK, that it's, if you can avoid zina, you should thank Allah. It's so easy. And parents should understand that fact. So they should make it facilitated. So either help the kid to control himself or herself by holistic methods. The foods they eat has a big, has a big impact on this. You know when you're talking about organic somebody, right? Not just organic, but just generally red meats and a lot of other stuff. Why do you have so much passion? It's a lot of other stuff. And in my book, I actually explain how to deal with excessive desire, pornography, and all that kind of stuff. There are certain things. Not staying in bed too long, especially in the morning and nighttime. Not reading in bed. All of these factors. Because it's an environment that's created. But if somebody knows that their, their son is going to commit zina or their daughter is going to commit zina, and they're old enough to get married, then they should help them get married. I know ideally you would like it that they got work first and they did this first and they did first. But there's zina going on here. So you can't always have it your way. So you have to pray to Allah and you have to make the right decision based on the circumstance. My friend's daughter got married the other day. I was there and I said, why are you sending her to this other city four hours away? I'm never going to do that with my daughter. He said, Sheikh, don't say that. He said, we never thought we would be sending her somewhere else. But sometimes circumstances just are like that. Like, what do you do? You're going to keep her at home and let her get older and let the chances diminish? Or you're going to get, let her get married to a suitable person that comes along? Just in another city, maybe another tribe, another caste or whatever. See what I'm saying? One is an ideal thing, but we can't deal with ideals all the time because life brings up abnormalities. So hopefully that provides some understanding of that. And if, you ever look, if you're always looking at ideals, you're going to get in trouble. The world is not an ideal place. That's Jannah, inshallah. So do the best in your situation, and if you're doubtful, then consult an alim, a scholar.